It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And my name is Don Crawford, Jr., the grateful owner of KAAM Radio and co-host of this outstanding program, which is called the State Planning Essentials Program, assertively seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I'm sitting with my friend, my attorney, my co-host, who doesn't sound like my friend, my attorney, my co-host, the Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. (laughs) How are you doing, Don? The show must go on. Yes, the show must go on. Not the question is not how am I doing, how are you doing, because you are definitely not sounding like you today because I think you've got a big, fat frog in your throat. Yeah, but, you know, I'm okay. Okay, well, the content, yeah, you are going to sound different, but the content is always outstanding, and we appreciate that very much. So without delaying any longer, let's get to that content. And you wanted to talk about recent court cases that you believe our listeners will be very interested in. Yeah, I think so. Um, The first case is on having your cake and eating it too. Um, So in this case, the will, the the person who signed the will said, I want uh, this mutual fund, which was worth $143,000, to go to this one individual beneficiary. Mm -hmm. The individual beneficiary accepted the money. And then, after they accepted the money, they said, you know, I think I want more. I'm going to say that the will is no good because under laws of intestacy, if I say that there's undue influence or lack of capacity and the will is no good, then I'm going to get $450,000. So there's a long-established pattern of cases called the acceptance of benefits rule. And... In other words, if you accept the benefit, then you can't later say that it wasn't any good. The will wasn't good. Right. Um, but the after and the, at the lower court level, that's what was ruled. They ruled that they, once you take the 143, or in this case, that you can't say that the will wasn't good. However, the Dallas Court of Appeals, saying that the person, I guess, had standing because they were a beneficiary, contested, and the Dallas Court of Appeals overturned it. Wow. Well, well, it then went to the Texas Supreme Court, and they reversed. And they said, you know, just because you could get more money if you say the will's no good doesn't mean that the acceptance of benefits rules should be avoided or being no good. Um, It actually, the way they said it, Equity does not permit the beneficiary of a will to grasp benefits under a will with one hand 
while attempting to nullify it with the other. Hmm. So the the beneficiary had no legal entitlement uh, for being able to say that the, the will was not good. Now, this reminds me, remember we talked about the Charlie Pride case with the child that was given 50000 Sure. He didn't take the 50000 He uh, He said, you know, I just think that there was undue influence and uh, lack of capacity, and therefore I should go by laws of intestacy, and therefore I'll get millions of dollars as opposed to 50000 Right. Um, now, the situation could be different. So let's say that um, that the 143000 the mutual fund, had a paid-on-death provision with wherever they had the account. If that happened, it didn't go by the will. And if it didn't go by the will, well, they could say the will was no good, and there would have been – they could – if there was lack of capacity or, or if there was undue influence, then they could have been successful in saying, even though they got money, uh, they could try to say that the will was no good. Hmm. Uh, also, if there – the Supreme Court also indicated that if the executor was doing it to try to trick somebody, that they would look at that too. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, so so some executors say, "Here, well, I'm going to give you X amount and just take it," and then the person who was, you know, duped uh, could complain, uh, even though they got a benefit if they were duped. Uh, but if it was act, if it was done in good faith. Then um, the beneficiary, uh, you know, can't have their cake and eat it too. Right. They either accept the money or don't accept. Before you accept the money, I guess, then you better make sure you're not going to contest the will. Right. That's amazing to me that um, that is the case. You got me thinking immediately when you have a criminal who goes to court and pleads guilty and and then they're punished, uh, and it's usually a reduced sentence, reduced punishment, because they pled guilty and did not drag everyone through the system, um, go through the due process, go to court, uh, spend all the legal fees, so then taxpayers have to pay it or private individuals have to pay that. So when there's a plea deal, then that's the agreement. This is what you agreed to. Uh, But then as you were talking, you were making me feel or think as though but sometimes there are exceptions if um, they, I guess many people, many criminals will say, well, I had um, incapable um, legal representation or I had corrupt legal representation or there was stuff going on under the table. It sounds analogous to what you're talking about. Yeah, I, you know, um, also when you say back, and I'm not a criminal law attorney, of course, but I think that, uh, you know, sometimes – Courts, notwithstanding the plea deals, could reject the plea deals mm. and say that that's not fair, and they may have a judgment notwithstanding uh, what the plea deal may say. Right. Uh, when you say, let me ask you, when you say it's not fair, it means it's not fair that that shouldn't that person shouldn't be able to strike such a good deal or plea at all, or it's not fair. What's that? Yeah. I think the court has some jur- – and again, I'm not a criminal law attorney here, uh-huh. but I think that they have some um, – usually they'll accept the plea deal, though, like you just said. Yeah. But I, I would imagine if it was something egregious that they would have the authority to not accept that plea deal. Oh, okay. Now on, and not accept it and maybe 
many times when I see these situations, they'll find out what the family's wishes are or the, or the alleged victim's wishes are, and then they'll try to fulfill those as well. Well, they look at, they look at all the facts, yeah. and then they just decide what they think is right. Okay. Got it. That's a fascinating case. Yeah. I mean, and most people don't think about if you're a beneficiary that, you know, they don't, most people are not aware of the acceptance of benefits rules. So if you are going to name, have a specific bequest, well, if you're the beneficiary um, and you think it's going to be unfair, you better, you know, in this case, I think they saw, oh man, there's a lot more money in this estate. So now I'm going to try to get more. Right. So, <laughs> Yeah, he had, mentioned, uh, he had mentioned, I was thinking again as you were talking, I met with my father this week at the Broadcasters Convention in Las Vegas, like we always do every year, and my father, almost 85 years old, is still uh, hitting uh, singles and doubles, not, not, not necessarily knocking it out of the park, but still doing great at almost 85, so I really love and respect him for it. And he mentioned his estate plan and what has to happen there when he passes, and one of the things that you need to do at times is to make certain in that plan that you not only indicate who gets what, but as you have taught me, indicate who doesn't get what, most importantly, to make sure you mention people, not in general terms, but specifically by name, indicating that they inherit nothing and that there's not, and if they do, con, and if they, they can't even contest that, or if they do inherit something, that if they contest it, then they get nothing. Uh, haven't you said that to me over the years? Yeah. Um, well, we always put a no contest provision. However, mm-hmm. if you have um, somebody says undue influence or uh, lack of capacity, that may not be, they still might be able to contest. <laughs> right. So the, um, and the other thing is we had a case this week where they wanted to cut out their son. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, and I started to tell them, I said, well, how much, do, how much do you think it would take him if you just gave him nothing? What does he have to lose? Right. So he said, okay, what if we give him $50,000? I said, well, you tell me, is that enough of incentive for him not to contest the, contest the will? And they decided they would uh, give him fifty thousand, and actually give a daughter fifty thousand. Uh, but the daughter was going to get a lot more besides the specific bequest. Uh, and so, anyway, so we have to discuss and say, uh, do you want to have more of an incentive to not contest? Uh, because you know, generally when people um, contest a will. They, the two most common arguments are lack of mental capacity and undue influence. Mm-hmm. So just like we talked about on the Charlie Pride case last year, um, that's that's what they the, the third uh, equitable argument is duress, but you don't ever see that very often. Right. But usually undue influence uh, and lack of testamentary capacity. So um, I'm doing another uh, will this week. And it's actually for an attorney. And the attorney uh, had like a stroke. Uh, I think he has capacity. So what we're doing, first of all, is we're having, I I prepared an affidavit for his doctor to sign because he has three children from a prior marriage. And you know, 
when it's a second marriage, it's always a red flag for estate planning attorneys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we're having the doctor sign an affidavit that will be signed almost simultaneously with the estate planning documents. Now that there is sufficient capacity, he knew the bounty of his affection, et cetera, et cetera. And so to reduce the risk on the capacity argument, now it's more difficult on the undue influence. So when I met with them, I said, okay, you're going to have to go outside the room while I talk to your spouse, you know? And so, um, cause I was concerned about there might be an argument for undue influence mm-hmm. when we sign and when we sign the wills, we might do that too. We might have one in at one time and the other at another time, just because we reduce the risk of undue influence and keep records of what we, you know, a juries. And again, I am not a litigator. I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Right. Um, and, and, so we'll keep some notes as to what they did and why and all that kind of good stuff. So if it did go to a jury, we know have a, uh, some records as to what they did and why. You know, it's very interesting that when you talk about undue influence, you're talking about uh, the representative of the estate or the attorney or some other PR or something like that um, who might um, create undue influence on – uh, the the individual who uh, has the plan uh, or the deceased or or perhaps other, but it seems like that's what that means. And then lacking capacity would not be the attorney, but would be some would be the individual whose estate we're talking about. And if they lack capacity, then they couldn't make the right decisions, and therefore that's contestable. Is, is that what you're saying? No, not really. The capacity, two things. On capacity, you have to know who, you know, roughly what your assets are, what, um, you know, who your, who your uh, you know, bounty of your affection is, like who mm-hmm. your children are, who your mm-hmm. spouse is. Undue influence. Let's say that the spouse says, um, okay, you need to sign right here. I see. Uh, or, else, or else I'm going to um, leave you. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, or you're gonna, I'm not going to take care of you anymore or whatever. Uh, so undue influence would be somebody else who, uh, you know, and or maybe the husband says to the wife, what should I do? She mm-hmm. said, sign right here. You know, I want yeah. you to do this. Gotcha. Who, 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 who do I want to give this to? Okay, you're going to give it to <laughs> me. Mm-hmm. Remember, I, I remember I told you the story a long time ago, and I had um, a, a lady who came in um, – and she had no teeth. And I told you the story on the air one time a long time ago. And she came in with one of her daughters. And the, the, I say one of her daughters. She had like, oh, I don't know, six or seven children, I think. And when she had, uh, she had no teeth. And I said, and the main mass that she had was her home. And I said, Miss Smith, who would you like your home to go to? And she mumbled and I couldn't understand her. She had no teeth. And I said, Miss Smith, I repeated it. And I said, Miss Smith, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I must be uh, getting older. I, I, I couldn't understand what you said. Um, so um, where did you say you wanted your home to go? And again, it was gibberish and I couldn't understand. So I said to the daughter, where 
Did you, did you understand your mom? Where did she want the home to go? She said, oh, it all calls to me. Uh, that's undue influence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's a great example. Well, I understand that, and that's, that's much clearer now of who could do that. And whether for honorable reasons or egregious ones, it's something that is, is threatening, and it's something in my mind that's immoral, and everyone has to be very careful when they make these decisions. They also need to be careful when deciding about their own particular estate plan, uh, to whom they want to give, how much, when, et cetera. And that's Michael's specialties, and that's why Michael has these free estate planning essential workshops that you can attend either online or in person now that the COVID and the pandemic has come to an end, basically, even according to the uh, governmental experts. And the next workshop that Michael will be holding will be Thursday, May the 19th at 10 o'clock. And these workshops are very effective. He's, he's been doing them for years and years. Again, they're free, so you can sign up for them uh, as soon as you can after this program or even during the program if you like. Um, but Michael always indicates during uh, the, these programs and um, over the phone and elsewhere that you can come to the workshops and just ask any estate planning or governmental assistant questions you may have that have arisen in your mind, in your discussions, or other that perhaps create questions for you um, about your planning and what you want with your life while you're alive and after you pass away. And it, they're very, they're two hours, they're very effective, and they cost nothing. And you can bring a significant other with you, or if it, unless it's online. Michael, this one on Thursday, May the 19th, is that online or in person? Do you know? That one will be virtual. The one on April 30th that we just had um, is, um, is was in person. Our first one in over two years. So initially, we're going to alternate between live and virtual because some people um, want to do it virtually and some people yeah. want to do it live. Okay. Uh, but eventually, I hope that we'll be doing them all live uh, in the near future. Okay. So that's Thursday, May the 19th at 10 o'clock, and uh, they're wildly successful and enjoyable, and no one leaves uh, saying, boy, that was a waste of time. On the contrary, I'm pretty sure I speak for everyone that they're very glad they attended, especially in the, with this one on May the 19th, which is a Thursday, 10 o'clock, where you don't have to even uh, get in the car to attend. You can just do it on your computer via Zoom or your cell phone via Zoom or laptop or iPad, just a couple clicks, and you're there. So it's really simple, and Michael goes around the Zoom room and ask questions after he gives a brief presentation, and you'll really enjoy it. And then, after that, you're entitled to a free vision meeting, which allows you to meet with Michael personally to discuss your individual circumstances and ask more questions about your situation and what he recommends you do to make certain that your estate plan is ironclad or that you completely understand government assistance and to which uh, to what you're entitled, basically. To sign up for that workshop, uh, you simply dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com, for Michael's next estate planning essentials program, or workshop, actually, on Thursday, May the 19th at 10 o'clock. I stole your thunder today, Michael. We want to save that great voice of yours, so... Uh, let's get back to the content of the program and perhaps another court case 
story for the audience okay. to know about. All right. So this one is that attorneys have to be careful because a lot of times there's things called precatory language. What's the word? So if you don't, precatory? Yeah. Right. Okay. So precatory is if it's not certain, basically. So in this case, the person who signed the will said it was his desire that the executor sell his majority stake in a company to his business partner. So, but the executor didn't do so because it just said desire. It didn't give a requirement. It didn't say shall. It said desire. So if you use words like hope or desire, uh, wish, those are not, those are kind of no-nos generally when you do somebody's will or trust. So in this case, the executor um, got sued by the business partner and said, hey, you need to impose a duty on the executor. You need to be, impose a duty to sell that business to me. The business partner lost, and then he appealed. The appellate court said, well, you have to look at the whole will to see the intent and so there is some situations where the precatory language could be disregarded if they look at the whole uh, will. In this case, they didn't say the terms. You had to come up with funds. They had to say there was um, – so there wasn't necessarily an obligation to sell the stock uh, because there was too many unknowns. So as a result, they upheld the decision of the lower court that when you use words like desire – or uh, wish or hope that that's not sufficient evidence to require the executor to make that distribution or sell, in this case, the stock. Um, it wasn't mandatory to do so. And so, um, although there wasn't, um, so they, they decided that the, uh, it, actually the case was remanded to back to the court, lower court, uh, but because there was, some, there was not enough evidence for summary judgment on each side. But basically, the bottom line is don't use precatory language. Do not use desire, wish, hope. Always, if you want something, my executor shall distribute mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. as opposed to be you know, completely clear and clarify in your will or trust exactly what you want to have happen, and don't just say, maybe. You know, it makes perfect sense. Um, I learned to not be ambiguous in what you want, whether in writing or even just orally. And if you're not definitive, it's going to come back to haunt you. And that's, again, why you should have Michael review everything that you have in your estate plan, because you may miss it a hundred times reading it. And Michael has that keen legal eye uh, and he won't. I, I almost guarantee it. Um, so at least have him review it to make sure there's nothing there to be concerned about because words like desire and wishes sound very threatening and dangerous. And that's Michael's expertise. So another reason to attend his next estate planning essentials workshop. All right, Michael, about three more minutes. Any more court cases for us to know about? I'll tell you one quick one. It's kind of interesting. Um, uh, you know, Sometimes when people don't have a will, they have an heirship determination to determine when, when uh, you know, who gets assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a case where um, 
there's a question about statute limitations. Uh, in this case, uh, let's say we'll call her Clarabelle, but that's not a real name. Okay. Inherited, uh, uh, inherited some royalty rights from her mother after she and she got the, it was held in trust until she was 40. And then she met some guy. They got married in Mexico. She died, and she didn't have a will. And the children of after the husband, quote unquote husband, died, uh, the mineral rights or royalty rights uh, apparently were being used by the his four children. Well, her two, she had two relatives uh, prior to marriage. Even though she died in 1972, they they said that they acted in good faith and that there was no statute of limitations to declare that they should be heirs. And, in fact, uh, the, the court avoided the marriage, and they said that they were entitled, that they'd acted in good faith. And even though it would have been, you know, all these years later, 40-some-odd years later, that they could have an heirship determination. Now, there had been, in 2014, a law that said, basically, statutes of limitations, there are no statute of limitations for heirship determinations. And the other side said, well, you see, it was only that was only the law in 2014, and this is before that. But they said that was just merely to clarify the existing law, and therefore the heirs from 1972 uh, were able to be successful in their wow. claim on an airship determination. <laughs> Incredible story. Um, you never know. It sounds like everything's almost challengeable these days. I'm uh, not sure you're going to win, but you give attorneys uh, something to hang their hat on, and they're going to go for it quite often. Not all of them, um, but when it's legitimate, I guess that's exactly what um, – Michael Cohen will do to make certain that your assets are protected and that your plans are fulfilled. To do that, to make sure that they are, attend his next workshop, which is Thursday, May the 19th at 10 a.m. online, virtually, via Zoom, um, so you never have to leave your house. To do so, dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, or go to Dallas Elder, E-L-D-E-R, Dallas Elder Lawyer dot com to sign up for that estate planning essentials workshop as well as um, you can always listen to michael's podcast by going to dallaselderlawyer.com as well if you missed any of this or any of his other shows which are all archived for your benefit uh, this program is for your benefit it's free and michael cohen we thank you and hope you take care of that voice of yours and we will talk to you next week the record Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, 
Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.